0: Very excited today to have an old friend, Anne-Laure from Paris, here to talk to us. We had wanted to have her on many months ago to ask her our questions about the bizarre occurrences in the world of sovereign debt markets, in particular. But um, Anne-Laure is in adventurous. And uh, had um, got herself injured kite surfing. So maybe we'll ask her about that too. But uh, after hearing about her experiences, uh, I think Mark and I are going to avoid that sport and maybe stick to tennis and golf. Uh, but welcome to our podcast. Uh, despite uh, your injuries, uh, it's very kind of you to come on and educate us.
1: No, thank you for the invitation. Me too. It's very kind. I'm super happy and super excited to uh, to be part of this uh, podcast.
0: Well, let me uh, go directly into the question. So that I got to know Anne-Laure uh, because we met at a conference. I think now uh, is a couple of years ago. Organized in part by our dear mutual friend, Jeremy Zettelmeyer, who's been on our podcast multiple times. And at the conference two years ago, roughly, we were talking primarily about our concerns regarding the large and increasing size of the Italian sovereign debt. And The central question was whether or not that gargantuan debt was going to cause Europe to go back into crisis. Now, two years later, debt stocks in Europe have increased even more thanks to the pandemic. The Italian debt stock looks even bigger. And yet no one in Either academia or policy circles, ex- with a few exceptions, seems to be worried anymore. So I just don't understand this. What? Why are we not more worried?
1: Yeah, uh, you're right, and we are less worried now. Uh, let's say that we're not uh, totally uh, uh, fine with what's happening, but uh, the the baseline, uh, I mean, the bottom line is first, we've been super worried. uh, We were super worried last year, exactly one year ago when the pandemic started, because it it started uh, spreading in Europe through one of the most vulnerable uh, country, uh, sovereign debt wise, uh, which was Italy. So it was like a uh, a double uh, suffering for Italy because they were affected very uh, badly by the pandemic. If you remember, uh, it was precisely the first country where uh, the the first uh, it was the, the country where the the first uh, people dying from this pandemic uh, uh, started in uh, in February or late January actually. Um, so, so we were very concerned because we knew that uh, Italy was one of the most vulnerable uh, country uh, regarding sovereign debt and, and, uh, and its economy in general. And now we learn to get less worried um, and, and really the, the main message, the main takeaway is thanks to the intervention of the ECB, the European Central Bank, which was already the case um, during the last uh, episode of sovereign debt crisis, tensions, Uh, the previous one, which took place uh, between 2010 and 2014. So um, we got out of this uh, huge tensions on uh, the, the, the government bond market thanks to the speech of Mario Draghi, which has been, uh, uh, which nickname is Super Super Mario since then, when he said, uh, I'll do whatever it takes. It was in July, 2012. So that's how the the tensions on the government bond market uh, started to cease to stop. And that's
2: more or less what happened uh, in 2020. So, so Alor, can I um, just ask you uh, to say a little bit more about this and to follow up on um, some of the differences between the COVID crisis and the sovereign debt crisis from 2010 to 2012. I know this is something you've thought quite a lot about. Um, my sense, And and you can sort of correct me if I'm wrong, but my sense is that even though the ECB's bond purchases have sort of removed a lot of the widespread concern, at least for now, we still see differences in the market's reaction to various European uh, issuers, you know, Italy, you know, Italian yields, I think, have increased at least relative to, to Germany and some other countries as well. What so? What explains the difference in sort of country risk profiles in the present crisis, notwithstanding this the large ECB intervention? Sure. The
1: main the background is that uh, when when the the COVID uh, started when the pandemic started in let's say end of January in Europe, we had um, a group of countries which were still vulnerable, which were still in a um, tricky situation after the last uh, the last crisis uh, that uh, is supposed to have ended in uh, 2014 um what makes the there is a huge as you said there is there are large differences across the eurozone uh, member states regarding the perception of the investors uh, of the investors on the quality of their uh, of, of their signature of their debt. um last during the last episode there was uh, this group of peripheral countries the so-called peripheral countries which are Italy, Spain, Greece, Portugal, and Ireland. And despite some efforts which have been made uh, by member states to implement some reforms, actually, there's been quite a standstill, still uh, a standstill since 2015. If you think of it, we've been implementing this European Stability Fund, which was a kind of uh, way to transfer, like to borrow money, uh, and transfer those loans uh, to the countries which would need, uh, which would lo- which would lose their access to the to the, the to the bond market in uh, in case of a crisis. Uh, but that's the main reform we've been implementing. For example, the banking union is still not. Uh, um, is still not enforced and we're still talking about the capital market union. So just to make a parallel with the United States, the the Euro is a common currency. So we're under a monetary union, like if you think of it like the US, the US has a common currency, which was not the case at the the foundation uh, of the United States, but we have several institutions, several uh, mechanism uh, that are missing compared to the, to the US. Um, so we don't have a banking union, which means that a euro which is deposited in Greece has not exactly the same value as a euro which is deposited in a German bank or in a Dutch bank. Obviously it has the same value on the Forex market, but it's much safer for a European citizen to deposit its uh, its its money, uh, its saving in a, in a German or a, a Dutch bank or a French bank than a German than a Greece than a Greek one. Why? Because we don't have a single deposit insurance across the eurozone. So why is it important? That's because as soon as you have a tension in uh, in Gre- in, uh, in Greece or in in some countries, uh, in the peripheral countries, then you will see large capital flows from those countries, those peripheral countries to, to uh, Germany uh, or to uh, Northern, uh, Northern member states. That's one uh, thing that is missing, yeah? Can, uh, just to um,
0: keep going on this, on the banking sector topic that you brought up, uh, I am wondering um, about the doom loop that we worried so much about in 2010, 2012, and that uh, there were all these conferences about how uh, we were going to make sure that the the doom loop didn't occur where, uh, if I understand uh, how economists talk about the doom loop correctly, it's basically the situation where countries have to issue more and more sovereign debt, And because they want to keep uh, the yields artificially down, they twist the arms of their local banks to buy their crappy sovereign debt. And then once the banks buy too much of the crappy sovereign debt, they're sort of undiversified and overinvested, and they might as well just buy more of the crappy sovereign debt. And my sense from the numbers, uh, and again, I might be misreading them, is that instead of moving away from the doom loop, Europe has moved more in the direction of the doom loop with local banks buying even larger uh, fractions of their sovereigns' local issuances of debt. Is, is that uh, correct? And uh, But nobody seems to be worried about the doom loop anymore.
1: Yeah, no, you're right. So uh, you make a very important point to understand the last crisis. And again, I'm sorry because I'm getting back to this crisis, but it's very important to understand, to draw a parallel with what's going on now because the mechanisms are very similar. Um, However, the main difference is the ECB. So let, let me try and explain this. Uh, you, you're totally right that uh, this sovereign debt crisis that we experienced uh, almost now seven years ago was uh, triggered first by some concerns uh, in uh, about the, the, the Greek uh, government debt. But if you think of it, Greece is like less, five, less than 5% of the whole euro area uh, GDP. So... What was really concerning is that the investors realized that uh, beyond Greece, some peripheral countries had some uh, unsustainable uh, debt. And the main concerns, concern was this home bias in the bank uh, balance sheet. So as you uh, very clearly said, uh, those uh, we actually, one difference with the US is that we are, we have a very much bank, uh, bank-based System, bank-based financial system. Contrary, or it's quite different. Uh, it's quite different from the U.S. because the the, the, the main way of uh, funding uh, investment in the U.S. would be by issuing corporate bonds, while actually banks uh, here play a very important role in uh, just allocating credit. Okay, so the, the, your basic uh, company in France would actually borrow. Uh, from uh, their bank. Um, and w- what the, the main concern is that uh, there's been a home bias uh, in uh, the bank balance sheet in Europe, meaning what you were describing, that those banks, BNP Paribas, Deutsche Bank, uh, Unicredit, were actually sitting on a bunch of sovereign debt. So the problem is that as, uh, as soon as investors realized that not only Greek, but Italian, Spanish bonds, government bonds, were actually the price was uh, increasing, meaning the, 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 the premium, uh, the risk premium was deteriorating, it would not only entail risk on the sovereign, but also on the banks. And the problem is that the banks would be bailed out by the state, but this, but that would deteriorate the sovereign uh, debt situation. Okay, so it was the so-called doom loop. And as you just emphasized, we still have um, very concerning numbers uh, currently. And I would add one uh, element in the in the loop. Currently, we not we not only have. Uh, sovereign bank doom loop, but we have a sovereign corporate bank doom loop. Why is it so? Because one of the main plans to um, address the the, 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 the COVID uh, crisis and the effects that the pandemic has had on uh, the corporate sector has been to grant a guaranteed by the state loans, loans guaranteed by the states. So that means that uh, there is a kind of rising risk that uh, after the pandemic, if if uh, there is an increase in uh, non-performing loans in uh, in uh, companies not being able to uh, repay their loans, then it will affect uh, the the state, the, the the government, and so it will increase the risk. Uh, premium on these government bonds. So, and so, and the loans which are guaranteed by the states were issued by the bank. Okay, so we now have a doom loop, which is even bigger, which is corporate bank and uh, states. But the main difference with be- before 2012 is that now the ECB, the European Central Bank is first has, um, has uh, a very clear message that they will do whatever it takes to remove this risk. And second, it's not only a speech, it's also uh, based on a plan, a, a massive plan of government bond purchase. And when I say massive, uh, for example, in France, um, the ECB now holds more than 20% of the outstanding debt uh, of the French state. Um, and or,
0: um, may, may I uh, it, uh, interject, please? Uh, so one of the themes that has come up multiple times today is that what is very different from 2010, 2012, uh, is that we had this statement from Mario Draghi And the ECB has shown its willingness to buy humongous amounts of crappy uh, sovereign debt. Now, um, as lawyers, Mark and I always ask the question of whether they're allowed to do that. And my understanding is that the law on what the ECB is allowed to do has not changed since then. And that Mario Draghi's, uh, I will do whatever it takes, a statement, it's not clear that he was allowed to do whatever it took. And uh, I mean, the market rebounded, so he didn't need to do whatever it took. But it's just, I don't have that kind of confidence that Either legally the ECB will be allowed to do this. I keep reading periodically about the German Constitutional Court saying, no, 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 you, you're not allowed to do that. Uh, and then you know Christine Lagarde has made statements on occasion saying, uh, you know, we're not going to buy everything you have or maybe maybe I'm misremembering. I'm just I, I don't understand this uh, source of confidence especially since Draghi is no longer there. Now he's running Italy.
1: Yeah, no, you, you're right, you're perfectly right to point to this very uh, tricky ambiguity in, the, in Europe because as you may have understood the main actor in the political uh, body, in, in like the, 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 the governance of uh, the EU institutions is not the European Commission, it's not the European Council, neither the Eurogroup, it's the ECB, the European Central Bank. Uh, we have a paper where we show that the main actor, the main interventions that have been efficient to uh, reduce the spread, so the, the risk premium, has been the ECB, and it's totally unambiguous. So on the one hand, you have a very uh, key actor, which is on the, on the other hand, uh, very frequently, very usually challenged uh, by, uh, uh, you, you were mentioning the, the German uh, constitutional court. That's the main challenge that uh, the ECB has been uh, facing, and uh, you're right to point it. Um, so it was challenged uh, in uh, May 5th. So <laughs> May 5th, uh, 2020, uh, was a very bad day for Europe, for the Eurozone, because you know, the, the Italian spread was uh, still quite high. Um, there was a, a lot of tension. The European uh, were still facing a lot of difficulty to uh, find an agreement. So if uh, you remember the background, we found uh, an agreement on a next generation, which is a fiscal plan, a massive fiscal plan in July, but in May, People were still uh, arguing very badly about this uh, this um, kind of plan that uh, the, that was discussed. And in May uh, and May fifth, the German uh, Constitutional Court um, um, has a, a ruling uh, like challenging the ECB plan and uh, just yeah saying that it's uh, it's not legal. Now. Um, Two weeks ago, uh, the same uh, court challenged the Next Generation Plan, this uh, precise, this, uh, this fiscal plan I was just mentioning. So we have, uh, uh, it's not only about the, the ECB. We have uh, uh, a part of uh, Germany, which is very conservative, which is very scared of like sharing um, some capacity, some fiscal capacity and monetary capacity. And which is not convinced that actually a monetary union is good for them. So we have a a part of uh, Germany and uh, in the Netherlands, that's the same, uh, which is very vocal against anything that can actually consist in uh, uh, burden sharing in the Eurozone. Now, Every single time they've been releasing this, um, this challenge, well, every single time they've been challenging uh, this, uh, uh, the ECB or the fiscal plan, um, what it does is that it creates a lot of tensions on the government uh, market, on the bond market. So uh, you see the spread increase, and then it comes down, and uh, it's so far so good like the constitutional court in Germany has not been able to uh, stop, uh, to, pro- to, to, pro- to prohibit the, the German state to keep on uh, getting uh, ECB funds. So th- there are some legal challenges, but so far what I see as an economist, because I'm not, uh, I'm not a low uh, scholar, but as I see as an economist is that uh, the, the 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 legal challenge uh, has been quite addressed so far.
2: Well, Anlo, let's take a short break, and when we come back, um, I wanted to to switch gears a little bit, if we could, to talk about um, one of the it seems to me sort of crazier proposals possibly to have been circulated um, uh, in recent recent days, which is the proposal that the ECB should just cancel all of the debt that it's been buying. And I, I suspect you have opinions on that. I, I, I have less informed opinions, but they're still pretty strong. So um, uh, maybe we can talk about that when we come back. from uh, Lord now that we're back, um, I wonder if you can give us your reaction to these proposals for the ECB to cancel the sovereign debt that it holds. I, I suspect you're a skeptic, but I, I'd like to, to hear what you think.
1: Yeah, okay, that's that's very interesting.
2: That I think it's
1: worth uh, looking at it, like trying to understand this very exotic um, proposal. Obviously, I'm super skeptical, <laughs> to say the least. Um, but what is interesting is what it reveals, actually. So first of all, it comes from France, most French uh, economists and political scientists. They're trying to spread uh, their ideas uh, around Europe but the the, the main uh, support is in France first. And second, um, what's the proposal about? Uh, They they are actually um, scared of uh, austerity. Uh, they think that the, the French government and European government will be tempted to get back to austerity or to, to cut uh, spendings and so uh, their proposal is to cancel the debt which is held by the ECB as I, I told you before. For example, the ECB uh, is sitting is holding 20% of the, 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 the French bank so, that would actually, for, for France, it would imply going from 120% uh, debt to GDP ratio to uh, 100%. So um, wh- what, does it, what does it reveal? First, um, it reveals the importance of uh, the ECB in the, in, the, in, in the political governance of uh, the EU. Uh, they are actually targeting the most important institution. Uh, Their proposal doesn't concern the European Council or uh, the the reform of the European Commission, because they know that they are not the one uh, uh, um, changing the game in in, in Europe. And it comes from France, uh, probably also because France uh, was one of the first countries bringing up the topic of sovereign debt in July, uh, 2020 while we were still in the midst of the pandemic, uh, the French French secretary of uh, treasury, Minister of Finance, um, assessed very clearly uh, in July that uh, that the, the, the debt was actually increasing because of massive interventions by the government but they would address this uh, this debt issue as soon as possible. So it's been raising concerns, which can be understand. Uh, it's been raising concerns among French um, society and French economists uh, that have who have observed some. Uh, movements, uh, some um, crazy uh, spending cuts in 2013, for example. Uh, France has been really traumatized by the, 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 the spending uh, cuts uh, in 2013, which were decided by a socialist president, uh, François Hollande. So there, there is this movement in France, which is trying to spread uh, among the, the left-wing uh, uh, parties uh, in Europe. Now, obviously I'm super skeptical. Um, Why is it so? First of all, of course, there there is a legal issue. Um, You should totally change the mandate of the the European Central Bank. And I I will not elaborate on this because I'm not a law scholar, but I I guess it's quite clear uh, how uh, radical is this proposal uh, legal wise. Then um, uh, one major concern I have is that um, because the ECB is the main institution and the main body on which the political, uh, uh, on, the, uh, on which the economic policy in Europe uh, is based, you don't want to challenge uh, the confidence that the market has on the ECB and on the, on the single currency. You don't wanna take any risk on this. And I'm not, uh, I'm not very clear about the reaction of the market if uh, that was uh, enforced, you know? Some people say, well, you know, uh, you would actually reduce the sovereign debt, uh, the, the, the ratio. So that would make actually the debt stock more sustainable because you just reduce it artificially. But others say, and I'm among them, uh, that the investors, the, pri- the private investors may actually be very scared of this kind of movement and think that they will be the next one uh, uh, like suffering uh, this kind of measure. So that's the second point, like you don't wanna take any risk on uh, the, 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 the confidence that the market has on the single currency Uh, And then I think there is a political economy argument. Um, I'm not very uh, happy that uh, the main uh, actor in Europe is the central bank. I think that it actually poses a a political issue in terms of uh, legitimacy, in terms of uh, democracy, because those guys are not elected. They have a very clear mandate. But if you think that the whole... uh, Um, crisis management uh, is actually uh, based on the ECB and if you think that they can actually uh, um, cancel, well, yeah, if you think that the the main uh, crisis management is on the ECB, then um, the the, it it doesn't leave any room to reform the political governance and, and put more legitimacy, more democracy into the executive uh, side of the political governance. I, I don't know if I make myself myself clear, but you have two legs in the in the in the economic policy. You have uh, like the budget and the monetary policy, and we're actually putting a lot of emphasis on the monetary policy, which is implemented by guys who are not elected. Who, they, they do their job as, as much as they, uh, as well as they can, but uh, I think that uh, well, the, the the quality of democracy and the legitimacy of uh, public choices must uh, rely on uh, elected people, and I'm um, uh, I, I guess that's uh, the the reform of the political governance and uh, and giving more. Uh, power to the European Parliament, for example, uh, would actually uh, make the whole process more legitimate and uh, more solid. Uh, and learn, um, may, may I? Uh, so along these lines,
0: um, I mean, I get the clear sense that you are worried about the, the sort of the house of cards that we have erected right now. Uh, At least I'm worried, but I want to ask about one of the reforms that Mark and I certainly spent a lot of time working on uh, that was supposed to protect against us getting into this kind of situation, uh, but seems to have been completely forgotten, which was the introduction in 2013 of collective action clauses in all of the EU area sovereign debt instruments with a maturity of more than one year. And the logic was, look, we are no longer going to have all of this drama about bailing out and uh, the ECB, you know, what its function is. We're gonna put in place clauses that will enable quick and efficient restructurings if the debt ever gets out of hand in the future. And once we put in place those clauses, we don't have to worry about this anymore. Now we are sitting here in 2021, and I do not hear any mention of restructurings. Basically, we seem to have evolved to a situation where the ECB is standing as a backstop to any crisis anywhere in Europe. And nobody gives a hoot about clauses in bonds or anything having to do with that. And and, and part of the reason we know this is there are problems with those clauses that were put in place in 2013 that have been revealed by the uh, recent Argentine restructuring and uh, the European authorities who at one point were very interested in the design of these clauses Uh, right now don't want anything to do with uh, talking about the design of clauses because they're afraid that people will think that countries might actually use them and my reaction is well i thought the whole point of these was that they were going to be used not that we were afraid that somebody would use them we want them to use them
1: yeah Uh... I'm, I'm I'm actually not very clear why um this debate uh has actually as you said uh has not uh, reached uh, a a conclusion like uh, it's 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 not even uh, more discussed uh one of the hypotheses that uh, you were suggesting is quite um realistic uh it's not very clear like um I would say It's not very clear what the the market perception would be if we were to introduce these uh, clauses. Uh, That could actually send a a signal to the market that uh, we're actually uh, planning to have uh, such uh, debt debt issues in the near future. So we're getting ready to to, to, to fight. uh, Well, we're getting ready. to this, uh, to, to this scenario. And you know, as, uh, as me, that uh, market perception is uh, quite an issue when you are in the midst of a, of a crisis. The problem is that we t- to, to draw a parallel with the US, uh, Europe first issues uh, a, a currency uh, with no budgetary union. Okay, we don't have budget union. So we don't have the kind of transfers that the, that the United States can do. So it means that if there is something in, uh, in Italy, uh, if something happens in Italy, um, the, 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 the process will not be smooth as, uh, as, as, in, uh, as in the US. Uh, that means that, that when there is a disruption in, uh, in the zone, it's always about discussing the mechanism and and, and, uh, like it's always a one shot solution first. Second, compared to the US, we're not issuing an international currency. Um, Most debt um, uh, in in, in the world are still denominated in US, not in the euro. So there is no natural demand for euro as there is uh, for the US. Everything put together, means that our debt market is much, much more vulnerable to any external shock than uh, the US uh, bond market. And that brings me back to the solution we were emphasizing, which is probably a super clever solution. But my take is that um, we are not in a situation where we can take any risk about the market perception on uh, the quality of the uh, of the debt. And and the third difference that the American people may not have in mind, it's as crazy as as it seems, we don't have a single debt, a single euro bond. So that means that Germany issues their own debt, Italy issues their own debt, contrary to the to to the US. Okay, and and that's because we don't have a, a budget union that we can't actually issue a single bond. So everything put together, um that would make me think that this kind of solution which is which has a lot of advantages uh might actually pose some risk uh um, signal the market that uh, we are we are actually planning uh, for the worst um, and that's that's a risk that the the, the, the the European institution may not want to take. But I, you have probably more elements than me to understand what why uh, it's been uh, it's not been adopted.
2: Well, I had wanted to ask um, uh, a question prompted by the, Sort of comparison to the United States, and there's another comparison that I had in mind, um, which was um, leading me to think about populists, maybe demagogue political leaders um, of the sort that we have recent experience with in the United States. But I'm um, I'm wondering about Marine Le Pen. The as I understand it, she's seems to be polling reasonably well, although the election is not until till next year. But I remember quite well, when she was running the last time, there was a see, not very well kept secret, I'm not even sure she try, was trying to keep it a secret at all, that she had been thinking about what it would take to leave the Euro and to re-denominate French sovereign debt into a new franc, which certainly was a, a something that um, caused a lot of um, a lot of concern and anxiety at the time. I gather she's um, dropped that talk at least for now. But I'm wondering what um, is sort of an unfair question, but I'm wondering what your sense is of her prospects and whether we actually need to be still thinking about the, the prospect of a, a country due to political developments, maybe a country like France considering leaving the euro. I, I suspect the answer is, is no, um, there, but um, she seems like a real wild card.
1: Yeah, uh, no, you're totally right. So um, I'm not a political scientist, so uh, I'll give you my opinion as an economist, but uh, yeah, everybody should be a political scientist, as you said uh, earlier. Um, So just to to give you some elements of background, uh, in the last election, 2017, so one year after your Trump, um, Marine Le Pen um, was actually facing uh, Emmanuel Macron, Uh, And uh, it was the same scenario as 15 years before against Chirac, uh, the the father of Marine Le Pen actually facing uh, Chirac 15 years ago before, Uh, but the main difference is that uh, there was like, uh, if I remember well, uh, 85% of the French electorate uh, voted for Chirac. Uh, in 2002, while actually only 52%, if I remember well, uh, voted for Macron, maybe 55, I don't remember exactly. So that means that uh, the, the room is, very, uh, is not very wide. Uh, so there is a risk uh, that uh, Marine Le Pen makes it this time um and this is actually a, a global uh, rise in populism that we're observing it's it's not only in the US obviously you will see that uh, in the UK in Brazil in, uh, in Europe so this is a very realistic risk. Now regarding your question about the euro uh, exit there she totally changed her gear after uh, she lost the election because the the, the, the really a diagnosis that has been made after the election is that she lost the election because of uh, this proposal to uh, exit Europe. And as surprised as it may be, you ask every citizen in the euro area, despite the fact that we're facing so much challenges uh, at keeping this currency together, uh, people really like this monetary union. And there is a, a novel support, popular support for uh, the single uh, currency for the monetary union. Every single time there is a poll, the majority of European citizens support, they don't wanna exit uh, the euro. What's something that could be a bit concerning is that uh, in the recent polls uh, that have been um, in the recent polls, uh, apparently young people would be a bit more supportive of uh, Marine Le Pen and of exiting Euro, but it's still a minority. So she totally changed her gears, and she's not uh, she, she's absolutely not supporting the idea of uh, exiting Euro first. And even more surprisingly, she's been uh, very vocal against the canceling uh, the cancellation of uh, debt held by the ECB. The, the, what we were discussing before. Um, which, in fact, if you think of it, um, cancelling the debt uh, at the ECB is might be a step a step towards uh, exiting euro. I mean, it's very exotic and it's it's a bit weird as a proposal. So no, she's like she's she's turning something into a bit more conservative, like like a debt must be repaid and. Uh, and we need to to keep confidence and and, and to show uh, our creditors that uh, we are able to repay our debt. So she changed her gears. And and Laura, um, uh,
0: let let me first uh, express a deep skepticism that uh, Marine Le Pen has changed her uh, stripes or gears or whatever else this just sounds like she is willing to say whatever it takes to get into power. And then um, then we will see what's uh, really in the head of her, her and her advisors. But maybe I've just been ruined by four years of trauma under <laughs> Donald Trump. And so I just, I, the, 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 these nationalist demagogues, I can't believe we elect them and then Then we hope that they have changed. Every time we hope Trump had changed, we got slapped in the face. Uh, That was our fault, not not his. But I want to ask um, one last question before we let you go, and thank you so much uh, for your time. Uh, In recent um, weeks, I I think during the last last few weeks, uh, there was a point where Mark and I started getting a bunch of email traffic Uh, Asking about whether or not uh, the European authorities as a result of the, I'm not sure, I haven't been following this, but there is, there are some bond issues that are being done uh, on a European um, Mm -hmm. basis. And the question that people were panicking about all of a sudden was whether... Liability was a joint and several, and I, the people asking the question were not lawyers. So I think what they were asking was, is uh, Germany liable to pay the whole thing um, if uh, there is a default? Uh, you know, Can creditors come after individual states or is the liability only at uh, the European level? And so I'm wondering whether in France there has been a discussion about this question of moving towards Europe-wide borrowing and the question of who has specific liability and whether or not uh, the eminent wise Marine Le Pen has been uh, opining upon this.
2: Hmm.
1: Okay, no, that's that's very interesting what you're bringing up, because I guess it's related with the, the fiscal plan that I was mentioning before, uh, which is called Next Generation, and uh, which is based actually on the first issues of uh, European bonds. So there's been some bonds issued by the European Commission, but the, 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 the amounts were totally anecdotal. Um, so... Yeah. Uh, so, what is interesting in your question is that it's a debate in Germany because Germany is on the creditor side. Uh, you, you should see the euro area as um, member states uh, with creditor on the one side and uh, debtors on the other on, on the other side. It's like the the, the U.S. Um, in the U.S., there are academic papers showing that some states in the U.S. are, are structural creditors and some states are structural debtors, structural in the meaning that there have been long-term creditors and long-term debtors. That's, that's exactly the same in uh, in the euro area. So, um, to, 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 to long story short, we don't have this kind of debate in France because we're more on the side of the debtor, debtors, uh, which is not really accurate what I'm saying because, uh, no, sorry, uh, on the next generation, we would actually, I think uh, the, the fiscal plan that has been um, that has been implemented, that, that has been thought about, uh, plans that we will actually issue more uh, debt that, uh, than uh, what we will get in the end. So for this plan, we will be uh, creditors. But generally speaking, uh, France and Italy are more on the side of uh, the debtor so that's why uh, you would see very different debates in Germany and in the in, in Netherlands and uh, then in the south of uh, Europe. Uh, as far as I know, um, I've never heard Marine Le Pen speaking about that. Um, and to, back to her, uh, she's really not strong in economics. Uh, and uh, as you were saying, she's probably very opportunistic. And if the debate gets in, in France, she would get opinionated, but she, she doesn't have, a, I never heard her about that.
2: Well, anne thank you so much for joining us today. And, and um, letting us pester you with questions whether they were fit for an economist or or not and um, it was really nice to to get a chance to talk with you so thank you so much for, for coming